And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Presented by Trader Joe's. I am Bruce Feldman. My colleague Stuart Mandel is taking a much-needed vacation. So without Stu, I am turning to another colleague of mine, at least on the TV side. He is Joe Davis, who is the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but also calls college football for Fox Sports as well as college basketball um, and some MLB. Uh, Joe has an interesting background. So he grew up um, in the heart of Big Ten country. He actually was a former college quarterback, um, which makes him kind of a, a little bit of a unicorn as it relates to play-by-play people who do football. And I thought uh, we would talk a little bit about the craft of broadcasting. I want, it's shifting gears a little. We're going to talk a little bit of college football, but also I really wanted to get into something a little different because I, I just think that you listen to broadcasters, and this went for me as well as a longtime college football fan, but I thought it was just a, um, he has just has a really unique perspective because until I was working as a sideline reporter and I worked with Joe for, I think, four seasons, I just, there's a lot of stuff you just don't understand or maybe don't see behind the curtain of how that works. And I thought Joe's perspective, not just as a college football guy, but also uh, as a Dodgers voice would also be interesting for a lot of people as how, because there's a lot of folks who get grow up wanting to be announcers and for somebody who's living their dream and what they dream to do i thought it would be cool to hear from him so we will get to joe now okay and now i'm pleased to be joined by uh my guest and my colleague from fox sports uh joe davis joe thank you for joining us on the audible today Bruce, any time I get to spend with you is good time, so of course. That makes me feel good. Um, Okay, so let's start with this. So you did games last year from a pretty darkened studio sometimes, thousands of miles away from the actual game. You called games in empty stadiums. So what are you most excited about for college football in 2021? I think just getting back to the opposite of that, being there, which we did a little bit, but even when we were there, I mean, most places didn't have very many people there. There were a couple places in the Big 12 that had decent crowds. But, you know, like what, what we love about this sport is the environments and the pageantry. And that was, for the most part, gone last year. So to get back into, you know, full-capacity stadiums with the marching bands and the mascots and the cheerleaders and just feeling that environment on a game day, I can't wait for them. It's, it's my favorite part. And so doing games last year felt a lot more like work because it was almost just like going and checking a box and covering the game, which, look, I mean, we get paid to talk about sports still, but so much of the soul of what we love about covering college football was gone. So I worked with you for, I don't know, four years or so, and one of the things that I 
appreciate about the job as you, you know is when you work part of a crew you are around it's like a family for that season right and so we're on the road there's a lot of rituals there's a lot of habits you have just in the case of college football it varies from week to week what the venue is and so i i've thought a lot about okay what is this stuff that not just the game but the stuff around the game that kind of like would really pop for me and there's certain things where um you know, I, I loved going to Husky Stadium and I would be out on the field three hours before when the Washington Huskies would enter and they would be basically lined up from sideline to sideline in the mass and they would march the field basically and you would hear Atomic Dog play from the speakers. And that was like, you know, even now I could get a little bit of a goosebump thinking because I know what's coming. Like that's just a really cool place to see a game. Um, and I've told Stu this a little bit, like doing Iowa games, you go in there on Friday, you know, it's like you watch practice, you end up eating like about 10,000 calories. <laughs> and then we have two hours of Ferences. And it's really an interesting discussion, especially with Kirk, because you learn a lot about football. You learn a lot about his, um, you know, kind of his view on things. You maybe get a 90-second drive-by from the defensive coordinator, Phil Parker, and then <laughs> you're there. But it's like I I like that Iowa City trip. I mean, it just yeah. – it it's very unique. It felt really – it felt very much like college football to me in that slice of Americana. So when I say it for you, what are those places that just feel, smell kind of like college football trips for you? It's a good question, and I would have to put a lot of thought into it to get you a great answer. But the Iowa City one, for all the same reasons you mentioned, makes sense to me. You know, it's not it's not in a big city. Not that there's anything wrong with because, like, we love doing games at Washington, and that feels like a great environment. That's in a big city, so there's nothing wrong with that. But like the slice of Americana kind of thing, where you fly in a ways from there, you got to take a bit of a drive to get to campus, and and then everything that you that you associate with a college football game day they have where like Friday, even, you know, you got the tailgate going on in the parking lot and the kids out playing catch in the parking lot and everything that comes with a Saturday morning with the tailgating and, and things like that. So have that there um, to a lesser degree, like the pageantry of college football on campus like that. I think about in LA when the Coliseum is packed and when the Rose bowl is it's usually not packed for a regular season game, but when there's a good crowd at the Rose Bowl, both those for me are special. I know a lot of people don't like the Coliseum. They think that it's not nice. I know it's gotten nicer as they've done renovations, but the Coliseum to me always just feels big time. Like it, it doesn't. You don't necessarily have the some of the things you're talking about, like in Big Ten country with the the epic tailgating and the days leading up to it. But once you get in there, it's it's an arena of like just greatness. And I think about watching Notre Dame USC games on ABC growing up as a kid in that building and the lighting at night at the Coliseum is, is a distinct set of lighting that I just, I have all these memories of growing up. So getting back to that being packed for big games, I think week one, my crew is going to have LSU at UCLA at the Rose bowl. It may be 70% LSU fans, but I think it's going to be a large crowd and just that scene at the Rose bowl uh, those are a couple that pop to mind. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. 
claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So for people who don't know your background beyond, they know you're the voice of the Dodgers and you do baseball, football, and college basketball for Fox. You grew up in the heart of Big Ten country. You grew up not far from Michigan State. Your your dad, Paul, who is your spotter and one of the sweetest people anybody could meet, um, is a high school as a uh, high school football coach and was a and has been a teacher and so not far from Michigan State um, what has it been like for you you were a college quarterback and I want to get into this a little bit late a little bit later at a small school uh, in Wisconsin but what is it like for you to basically be living out your dream <laughs> yeah uh, I mean it it's usually cliche when you say that, but uh, this is exactly what I've always wanted to do and even exceeding what I've always wanted to do. I never set out and said, I want to be the guy that follows Vince Scully and be the Dodger announcer just because that almost seemed like you, know, you, you grew up saying you want to announce the World Series and do the Super Bowl and, of course, all those things. And that almost seems more it seemed more possible as a kid than doing what I'm doing with the Dodgers right now. Uh, I, I don't know. I it's still, I still pinch myself all the time. I still have probably once a week, a moment where I just kind of laugh and shake my head. Like, I can't believe I'm in this chair or doing this or that, or, you know, getting, getting a chance to call this game or that game. It's uh it's what I've always wanted to do. I was lucky that I knew at an early age, exactly what I wanted to do. And not that it's a problem if you don't know what you want to do at an early age, but I think it definitely gave me an advantage to know in fifth or sixth grade, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And, and how many people can say they're lucky enough to be doing exactly what it is that they'd kind of set out as their life's work at a very early age? Especially if it's very aspirational, right? Because, I mean, you know now um, the odds are not good to uh, – it's not necessarily to be a play-by-play person somewhere, but to be it at that level, um, mm-hmm. to be able to do it and to be good enough and talented enough to do it where you get noticed by the right people at a very – early stage of the career is very unique. Um, I am curious. So, and knowing your, knowing your background, I know Joe Buck had a big impression on you. What is it that you saw there that really connected for you it was like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is why, I, this is how I think I could be good at it. And, and what, like, how does that work for you when, in your head? I think it started as Joe was doing all the biggest games that I was watching as a kid. And so just by osmosis, I, I liked him because he was on all the biggest calls. And, um, but then I, as I started to pay closer attention to announcers and specifically to him and what he was doing, I just don't think that there's anybody better at captioning a big moment and capturing a big moment and helping elevate a big moment than Joe. Um, and, you know, I, I've just I've always admired all those all those things that are almost like intangible. It's, he's obviously got a great voice and a great command, and uh, 
does does every all the X's and O's of play by play very well. But there's something intangible with him and I think with all the great guys out there where they just find a way to elevate a moment. They know exactly what to say, when to say it. They know how much to say and when to shut up. Uh, and so he, first of all, just because he was always on when I turned the big games on, but then bigger than that, because I admired the specific things he was doing. He was somebody who I was always drawn to. And you can find my early tapes and I'm pretty much just trying to do a Joe Buck slash Pat Hughes impression. Pat Hughes, the Cubs longtime radio guy. And I grew up a Cubs fan. So I'm like going back and forth on, on just copying those guys on my early tapes. And I think that they're probably still a lot of their influence in, uh, in my own style now. What is the most challenging aspect of your job? Um, it's probably different for each sport. It's probably specific to, to each sport for, because, you know, for baseball, it's, and it's, it's different for each sport and it's different for each job within each sport. Cause for the Dodgers, I think the difficult thing is bringing the energy every single night for 162 games. And that sounds ridiculous. Shouldn't be hard to get up to talk about baseball, but just to be at the top of your game every game and to find fresh material. And especially given the situation right now across sports where you don't have a ton of access to the to the characters playing the sports just because of protocols. So remaining fresh and interesting all season during a baseball season as a team guy. Uh, for football, it's probably more in the preparation and the memorization. Uh, when you, especially in college, when there's a hundred guys and you know you get a two deep and you got forty dudes, you got to memorize in one week. And a lot of times we're not repeating teams; these are new teams we're getting every week. So just the challenge of I always say you have to, I have to know that number five is Reggie Bush. Like I know that your name is Bruce Feldman. I got to know it that quickly in order to be really good at calling play by play in order to give yourself a chance to be really smooth at doing play by play. So, I mean, those are, I don't know that anything's that challenging. Again, I go back to the idea that we're talking about sports for a living. It's not that big of a challenge, but there are little, uh, there are little things to be at the top of your game that you've definitely got to nail. Well, I also think just from having done it a little bit is it's live TV. And mm -hmm. if you make a mistake, chances are the game you are doing that most of the people who are watching are diehard fans of this. Yeah. You know, it's not like if you're doing a Stanford, Arizona State game, chances are it's not SEC fans who are watching. It is Stan, for sure Stanford fans, yep. for sure ASU fans. And if you butcher a name or you butcher a fact, they're going to be like, man, this guy just rolled in five minutes before the game and you know turned it on or whatever. And yeah. so one thing I have great appreciation for working with you was you wore my security blanket, even to the point this year, and I don't remember what, it, or when I say this year, I meant like the beginning of 2020. You were in studio and I was in studio and I forgot who it was. I should probably look back on my text, but I was like, hey, what's the proper pronunciation of this? Because you would be kind of, in the moment, I cringe at this name now because I know it now, but I remember in my open, we did a USC game and EA, not Ote Ote. And <laughs> I repped it and repped it and repped it. When live TV came along, it was not uh, lyrical. And yeah. I could just hear the disappointment in your voice after. <laughs> and when I talked to you in the car ride back and it's live TV, you know, you can, yeah. you know, like, and some people like I have great, you know, I, even though you're a lot younger than me, I would look at you as as somebody who I leaned on for advice on some of these things because 
it's a lot of reps, right? And you, even if you, you know, you're not 50, you've now had a lot of reps at doing it. And so I think there is a craft to it that the average fan, I don't want to say the average fan, even people who are not broadcasters do not know. Like, I mean, I work with people on the writing side who are big college football people and they know how the sport works and everything. But I don't think you know how the broadcast works. And there's an interesting moment where, so for the listeners, like every twice, usually two weeks out of the season, Joe wouldn't be with our crew. He would be doing Dodger playoffs or something. And so a couple, for the most part, we would have Aaron Goldsmith, who is also a, uh, a uh, baseball announcer by trade. And so he was doing Mariners and Aaron would come in. And I remember on our car ride back from visiting some team hotel, our producer, Bo Garrett, I don't know how we got to this, but Aaron was talking about calling a triple, like in baseball. And basically, it was very lyrical in how he was talking about it. And the timing and the pacing for baseball, I was like listening to it. I was like, man, this would be a great like college discussion that he could teach on this because he's talking about the craft and it's lyrical. It's very poetic and how he's pacing it and everything. And football, to me, not knowing it because I'm not calling the game play-by-play, seems very, very different um, in how you can do it. So for you, is it mindset or does it take a little while? Because I felt like, not to speak for Aaron, but I did feel like it would take him a little while when he would jump into college football, maybe a half, to get up to the speed of a game. And it was different. Like I think one of the first games he did with us was a Big Ten game. It was Michigan State. So it wasn't like a Big 12 game where the tempo is different. So when you go in and out of it, um, is it a conscious thing that you know you have to, or is it just like, all right, I got to get my speed up? Because you're also working in an analyst who's operating at a different yeah. speed too. You know what? I've I've had people ask me that before, and I don't think about it. I don't I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Like I shift my mind to to have to change the rhythm or change the pacing or anything. It just. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you, but I it, it definitely is distinctly different, and basketball, too, is its own beast. Um, and I think that it takes me – it probably takes me a few games before I really feel good about where I'm at once I get into a football season and the same thing into a baseball season. But I don't think they're connected. I don't think that it takes me a while to get going on football because I'm in baseball mode. It's just because I haven't called a football game in a year. And I think the same thing for baseball. Uh, it's because it's been six months since I've called a baseball game. It just takes a few before you get back into rhythm. But the going back and forth thing, at least for me, I think that that as a challenge is probably overrated when it comes to the executing the actual call. Where it's tough is the prep, where you're going back and forth and essentially working two jobs at once, where I've got Dodger games Sunday through Thursday, and then fly to football, do football Saturday, and back on the Dodgers. But the act of actually calling the game, uh, for me, has never been something I've had to put too much thought into the differences of. Are you better or worse at, you said something maybe you would have liked to have taken back or misspoke, in the, I mean, live TV for three plus hours, maybe even four hours, is very mm-hmm. challenging. Are there? How often does something stay with you where you're like, I should have not said that that way, or maybe the delivery wasn't the way you'd want it to be? Um, and you know how I'm kind of wired. I, I think that a lot of us in this business are on the perfectionist side of things. And so I'm pretty hard on myself. I know you're the same way with, with yourself. Um, I think that doing baseball every day has helped me with that because if you're going to be, you're going to kill yourself over every miss, you know, every call that's not perfect, 
there's going to be a lot of calls over 162 game season that are not perfect. So I've probably given myself a little more grace, but I go back every night after Dodger games and watch the highlights at least and, and critique myself on where my energy level was based on, you know, compared to how I felt actually delivering the call and try to translate that the next night and be better than the previous night. Um, So I'm always trying to find things that, uh, I can improve on. And there are definitely, hopefully few and far between, but like I can think of, and I know that we've had conversations about this one, Northwestern to Iowa a couple of years ago. I said something along the lines of, well, was it Northwestern? It was Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. Minnesota Minnesota's dream season comes to an end because they lost. And like, and I don't know. Perf- I think you were saying perfect season in the car ride home or something. Yeah, should have said perfect because it's still like the best season they've ever had, right? So I yeah. felt bad on something like that. But I think if I take a step back, like how many people are actually out there sitting there saying, picking it. But at the same time, should that be my should that be my barometer for if it's good or not? Not necessarily. I don't think that I if I'm not going to let people sitting on the outside tell me when I'm good, then I shouldn't let them tell me when I'm bad either. So I, I think that I'm always going to be my own toughest critic and um, hopefully that continues to drive me to get better as long as I do this. Yeah. And most of the people you grew up watching now, I'm not, they're still in the business, most of them, but like they did not have Twitter or social media. Like when I work yeah. with, with Tim Brando and Spencer, Tim would sit in a car ride from back from the game and go through his mentions. And it was it was a. It was definitely a mixed bag um, of a lot of stuff. Where some, a lot of it was opinion, you know, drifted. Which like, oh, you're, you know, you're in the bag for school X or whatever. And then some of it would be content more specific. But I was like, man, this is exhausting to. And I'm not even, you know, I'm just hearing it in the backseat, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, it's, you got to have thick skin. That's for sure. I've honestly thought about deleting Twitter. Like I'm probably not going to do it because there's so much value in having it for what we do and as a news source. Um, but I, I've put thought like what what good does it bring beyond that? And can you get the news source? Can you get the stuff other ways? Probably, the answer is probably yes. You don't need Twitter to update you. But I don't know. It's hard to, and especially being the Dodger guy and feeling like there's some kind of connection with the fans on there. That's another thing that I consider. But, but I, I've noticed, I feel like you have a pretty robust following on Instagram for that. And I would imagine the Instagram um, feedback is a little warmer than you probably yeah, with the tenor. Probably right. And I, like, I don't want to act like I, I get crushed and people are bad on Twitter. It's just human nature is you get 10 nice tweets and one bad tweet and you focus on the one bad tweet. And so I don't know, I probably not going to delete it, but every time I get a bad tweet, I think about like, do I really need this feedback on here? Like what, what good is this really doing me? Understanding that it does, there is some good out of it, the news source and also having a connection with 99% of fans on there that are nice. Yeah, I also think you run into a unique dynamic where you're the Dodgers guy, but when you do games for Fox, there are going to be fans, especially if you do a, a Giants game, and they're like, oh, he must hate our team because yep. of you know that connection. So you're inherently probably going to get it. Um, yep. I wanted to ask you, so you have a, it's, I don't want to say it's totally rare, but it's f- relatively different from a lot of play-by-play people where you, especially for college football, you played quarterback in college at Beloit College in Wisconsin and 
I wonder, how much do you feel like it's a fine line for you where you see the game probably a little differently than than mm-hmm. because of your experiences of playing the sport in college than many of the other play-by-play folks, but is are, how conscious are you are like, ooh, I gotta, I cannot step on the toes of my analysts because they're the quote-unquote expert. I've gotten more conscious of that, and I do think that it helps me and my background playing football, but... I think early on in my career, I did too much. Like I thought I, I, not that I thought I knew more than I did, but I probably took it a step too far where I was either boxing the analysts in to having to talk about something they didn't necessarily want to talk about, or I was kind of doing part of the analyst job for them. So I think I've done a better job as my career has gone on of just staying in my lane and um, having my background in the sport helped me in a little more subtle fashion as opposed to like having to prove that I knew more than your average play-by-play person did based on my background by throwing in, you know, something, some kind of lingo here or there or steering the conversation farther than it's my job to steer it. Uh, and I've left more of that up to my analysts, I think, as my career has gone on because I think that's how it should be done. I should use my background to maybe help guide them and help take them a little bit step further, but I shouldn't be doing their job for them. And I probably had a tendency of trying to do that a little bit early on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So as good enough to play in college, but at what point in your life did you realize, I'm not going to be an NFL quarterback, I'm not going to play for the Packers or the Bears or play for Notre Dame, I want to be the guy calling the game. Like That's, to me, a very mature shift for somebody to make. Um, yeah. And I don't know why I never had that. Like I never really said I wanted to be an NFL quarterback. I did want to be the quarterback at Notre Dame. That was always kind of the, the big shiny goal. Probably midway through high school, I knew that if I was going to Notre Dame, it was going to be to like get into school and then try to walk on. My recruiting stuff was division three and, you know, Ivy league, small non-scholarship division one. So I, I don't know. There was never a moment where I said, okay, now I'm not going to be an NFL quarterback. I'm not going to be the Notre Dame quarterback, so I'm shifting to be an announcer. I always had these dreams of playing quarterback at Notre Dame, but at the same time had the dreams of doing exactly what I'm doing right now. So it's not like I had to uh, shift or pivot from a, a goal of being a pro athlete. For you, what is the best advice you've gotten to get where you are at now? Think control what you can control because I used to and, and still do to some extent 
obsess over outcome-based stuff, obsessed over who's getting what assignment, why I'm not getting a particular assignment. I think we all go through that a little bit, but it's just wasted energy, right? It's not, there's no point in worrying about who's getting what gig. If you're doing your job and you're, you're doing it, you're working hard and, and doing, executing the call to the best, you, best of your ability, then like what, what else is there to do? I think I've done a much better job as my career has gone on of just trying to do the job and do it well and you know, kind of letting things fall where they may and recognizing how lucky I am to be in the spot that I'm in right now. So how does it work where, like I said, you are living your dream, your, you know, your dream out there. I feel like a lot of people for, for life is, to, is very aspirational to get to something. It's always leading to something. Well, what happens when you're in your early 30s and you've already got that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're we're getting deep discussions here, but I think about that stuff a lot. You've been hanging out with Chris Peterson too much. <laughs> yeah, a little too much. I mean, so I, my dream has always been to be like the number one guy at a network to call the World Series or call the Super Bowl, or call the College Football National Championship. And had you told me five years ago, ten years ago, that look, you you you're not going to get that. You're going to be the Dodger guy. You're going to do some really nice national stuff, but you're never going to be a number one guy. I would have said, okay, then I think that my career is kind of a failure because I'm not reaching the the ultimate goal that I had. But I don't know if it is having kids and, and shifting to that stage of life and gaining new perspective from that, or if it's just me having enjoyed the Dodger job more than I ever anticipated enjoying it. If you told me now that you're never going to get to do the biggest of the biggest events, but you get to do the Dodgers for 60 years, you get to keep doing great college football and national major league baseball, and, and that'll be your ceiling. And you get to have a great family at home, which I do. That'd be really, I, I would now say I'd sign up for that. That's a, a really fulfilling career in my mind. Um, I still want all the, all the stuff that I've always wanted, but I also ask myself the question, and this makes me think again about Chris Peterson and your interview with him, but I wonder too, like if I were to get those things, do you suddenly, you know, like, okay, you're fulfilled and this is the greatest thing in the world now, or is there some kind of sense of, okay, I've gotten this and now what, you know, like what is important? What is that? What is it that you want all these things for? And I don't even really know the answer to that. I would love to have an opportunity to find out how I'd feel if I got all the you know, the biggest gigs out there, but uh, very well content doing what I'm doing right now and think it would be a great career if I wound up, this was my ceiling. I'd be very happy. I'm going to send the Chris Peterson story to Joe Buck and say, hey, Joe, I know you have young kids too. Hint, hint. Maybe you should take a little time off for it and let somebody else... Uh, I don't know. Like in some, I get, I get where you're coming from, but in a lot of ways, I look at it and say, you know, everybody's on. You know, I guess it is different. Calling a Super Bowl is different. There is probably nothing like quite like that. But when you're doing playoffs or you're doing big games, you've done big games. I think it's like, it's not like you haven't, you know, been part of like big things. It's right. just you know. So I, I think it's, you know, I one of the stupidest things aspects of my life. It was probably when I was 28 years old and I first got to ESPN. I was like a year in there and I was obsessed with my title. There were probably three human beings in the world who knew what my title was. And I cared that it wasn't that it was X and I was hoping it was going to be Y. And I couldn't. And the, the salary difference would have been like probably $19 a check. 
you know, it just (laughs) didn't matter. And I put so much mental energy into that. Um, And it's mind-bogglingly stupid how I cared so much about that. Now I care about some stupid stuff now that I shouldn't, but. No, it's wasted energy, right? It's like, yeah, and I, I don't know. I think that that's anybody who gets older as we all tend to do and and goes through different stages of life and has kids and gains different perspective. I think that everybody probably has those things they look back on and say, what was I thinking? And why was I wasting energy on this or that? And 10 years from now, you and I both will look back at some of the things we're doing right now and say that we were stupid right now for wasting energy on some of the things we're doing. Uh, I'm going to get you out on this quick question, this question. So, uh, you were nice enough to, to give us tickets on a July 4th. It was the first time my kids, who were, I think, four at the time, go to a Dodger game. It's July 4th. Mm-hmm. So sixth inning, we go up to say thank you. And your partner, who I remember as a pitcher, like when he had, whatever, 59 consecutive innings or 56. I forgot what oral streak was in the late. 59, yeah. And so we're going to see you. We're not going to see oral, right? But, like, you guys are in the booth, and Rick who is your um, right-hand guy on baseball is there. So we're talking to him. And I don't know what's going on, but I see, like, all of a sudden, Oral signs baseballs and gives one to my daughter, who could care less about sports right now, and one to my son, who's obsessed with it now. My daughter looks at it and was like, why did this man write all this stuff on the... Because Oral Hershiser does not look like a name, and it's a lot of work, you know, right? And she's so confused, right? But I'm like, later, I was like, this name will mean something, at least to him to my son right so um i'm curious like when you're in it like with him especially where it's like you're doing dodger games with him it's a little different than doing you know you know really have a lot of respect for brock and brady but you're doing dodgers game with oral hershiser like how often is it in the moment of like you know like how do you balance that where you have this resource here but at the same time it's a guy now you have almost every meal with probably for half the year like how do like i guess it's one of those things where i think you kind of get um i'm trying to describe it because i have some of these in my own life with people who like when they find out i know somebody it's like wow and then but you're just like oh that's just so and so when you're doing it on live tv it's probably even different so how does that work for you when you're you know, that's your partner. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one of the things that people appreciate about Oral and me together on the air is that they feel like they're listening to two friends and two people who genuinely like each other. And so on the air and off, like he is not Or Hershiser 1988 Cy Young Award winner to me, even though I know that that's part of the resume and, and the headline of the resume. And he had an incredible career and we bring that out on the air, but I'm not conscious of that. I'm conscious that he is one of my best friends and one of the most influential people in my entire lifetime. And uh, not just for me, but for my family where he's, he's more like uncle oral to my two kids. And um, I don't even know how to describe him for me and for my wife, Libby and his wife, Dana, for my wife, Libby. It's like, they're not like parents and they're not like aunts and uncles. They're just, they're outside of our own parents. They're the most meaningful people that, we've had in our lives and so it would be really hard to have that sensation and that feeling those emotions about somebody and also be like oh my gosh it's big league pitcher Oral Hershiser who has a ring and a you know MVP of the World Series and NLCS and Cy Young it'd be really hard to have both those sensations so I acknowledge and appreciate and admire that about him but it never really crosses my mind it's just the the positive feelings about him as a person and a friend are so overwhelming that 
guess there's not really much room for me to think about the other stuff. Is it hard to be in the middle of it where it's like you are part of the Dodgers and it's like, do you live and not live and die whether how they're doing, but that's how everybody else around you is, is taking it. Yeah. I think that's part of the job is to be, you never like when you're a team voice, you're never going to be neutral, right? We all want the team to win, but in order to be a professional at it, you can't be too caught up in the wins and the losses and, I kind of leave that to him since he did wear Dodger blue and he can get a little more caught up in the emotions of the wins and the losses. And of course I want the team to win. It's a whole lot more fun when they win than when they don't, but my job's the same no matter what. And so, you know, my, my job description of delivering the facts, whether they're good or bad and calling it how I see it, that doesn't change based on the wins and the losses. So I leave the, uh, I leave the emotional tie to the outcome of the game a little more to him, I guess. Mm. I, how much have you noticed your Dodger connection has helped you with college football coaches in the Pac-12? Oh, it helps, man. <laughs> Smith, huge Dodger fan, I know. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski now in Texas, but huge Dodger fan. Uh, there are other ones I know, too. But, uh, yeah, the Jonathan Smith one was the one I was thinking of. It's like, yeah, yeah that is a big deal That's for him. Yeah. All right, Joe. I have kept you too long. I know you have work to do. so uh, I just got to go watch the swim lesson. Uh, I cannot. Uh, I apologize if we have run long. So no. I know how how uh, important those moments are. Joe, I'm looking forward to seeing you hopefully soon. Uh, listening to you as much as I can. So you've, uh, yeah, it's awesome. You've been a, a huge help for me on the TV side and beyond that. So thanks for doing this. You're one of my favorite people in the world, Bruce. See anything you need. Thank you, Joe. All right, take care. All right, See man. You. Thanks. Bye. Yeah.